the store and, and to family and friends, just have patience. Well, they bit my head. Oh, yeah, they did. And they'll probably do it again tomorrow. You know, <laughs> everybody's tired. Everybody's in a different uh, disposition than what they normally are. And love and have patience. And if it gets returned back to you, great. If it doesn't, you can only control one side of those interactions, right? And so do, do your best to control your side. So appreciate you. I know our community appreciates you. Uh, all the ones from out of our area that have been here and the hospitality shown to them and the work that they've done has been appreciated. Just keep up, keep up the good work. So tonight's the second part of our lesson. There's not a third or fourth part. You're off the hook after tonight. So one more, one more message from me. We'll get Tyler back and things will be, you'll have PowerPoints that have slides in the right places and things will be, be smooth, smooth sailing. Appreciate Luke reading scripture tonight, even without it being on the, on the slides. But this morning we talked a little bit about life not being fair. And we're going to continue that tonight with a focus this more on blessings that are received. And then our invitation, finishing it up talking about the judgment. And about how, again, uh, life isn't fair. I, I think sometimes I'm guilty of this. You might be guilty of this. I want things to be fair. Like I want things to be, I want to deal with people fairly. I want the situation to be fair. I want to explain away why it happened. Why did that happen? I don't know. Let's try to figure it out. We can't figure it out. Let's try harder. Sometimes you can't explain it away. Sometimes you can't figure it out. Sometimes it's not fair. Oh, I've learned that having two boys. And I can't imagine if we had three boys or two boys and a girl or any other combination of three. Because I think then the being fair part would be even more difficult. Christmas just came and went. Am I the only person? How do we make this fair? <laughs> How do we? My sister and I, we always had to count presents. We didn't. She did. But all the presents had to be counted. And there had to be the same number of of presents for each of us and that's not true she had to have more than I had there had to be a certain number of presents under the tree and they were counted down to the last one and then as I got older I wanted to start figuring out what the actual retail value was of those presents was that equal because that was even more important and at the end of the uh, of the Christmas experience guess what it wasn't ever exactly even I mean it can't be right and so then you got mom, God bless her, that would be over there. Now you get $37 because you were a little, it's fine, mom. Like we're just having fun with this. But do we get caught up in that? How fair is it right down to the, to the bottom? How often do you go and get a to-go order from a restaurant, whichever one's your favorite, and you go home and you pop open the boxes and one's got more than the other one? Anybody ever have regret over which box you picked not knowing what was inside? Should have got that one. Or the sack lunches that come, and this one's got the peanut butter cookie, and that one's got chocolate chip. I've got the wrong one. This isn't fair. Sometimes life just says, why? Why is that the case? And so, again, our message this morning, our message tonight, let's move past that. Let's just accept it, right? Let's just accept it and acknowledge it. Life isn't fair. Let's be okay with it. And now let's focus on the other side of that. What if, what if everything really was completely fair? Would we want that? I would submit to you this morning, and I will again tonight, that we wouldn't. We wouldn't want things to be completely fair because, folks, we'd be in a world of hurt come the day of judgment. In Matthew chapter 20, uh, Luke read a few verses for us. I want to go back and read a few more. The ones that he read are really the, the, the climax, the pinnacle of the passage. Do you all remember what happened in Matthew chapter 20? What happened in Matthew chapter 20, say it with me, church, was not fair. <laughs> like... This is probably the most unfair story I can find in the Bible. Uh, as an employer now, I don't think this would fly at Duncan's if this is how we did payroll this week. I don't think it would fly. They'd be coming in screaming, this isn't fair. Look what happened. Matthew 20 and verse 1. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So first thing in the morning, they opened at 7 o'clock. He went out and he hired people. Come work. And so they agreed with the laborers for a denarius. That's how much you're getting paid. 
per day, and he sent them into his vineyard. So, pause. 7 a.m., you go work all day, I'm going to pay you a denarius. Josh, I'm going to hire you. Do you agree to work for that amount? Sure. sure. Josh is going to go work for a denarius all day long, hard day. Keep reading. Verse 3. About the third hour, so Josh has been working, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard. And whatever is right, I will give you. So Luke's not doing anything. Luke, go work out there with Josh. And I'm going to pay you the same thing I'm paying him. You good with that, Luke? Yeah, three less hours of work, same amount of pay. So Luke's working for me. I got Josh and I got Luke working for me. Verse 5. Again, he went out about the sixth hour. And he did it again. So now I've got Cody. Cody, you go work for me six hours, same pay as them. Cody's like, I'm on board. And then the ninth hour, Sarah, what about it? You go work for me? So Sarah's coming in here at the ninth hour. Hey, I'm paying you denarius. Sounds good to me. Keep reading. The sixth and the ninth hour, and he did likewise. The eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle. And he said, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said to him, because no one hired us. So he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received one-tenth of a denarius. Is that what it says? They received a full day's wage. If you were that guy that got hired right before closing time, would you be surprised that you got a... I would have been surprised. Wouldn't have been mad about it. Wouldn't have turned it down. But I would have been surprised. They received a full denarius. But when the first came, so here comes Josh. Josh has watched me pay everybody else. I paid Sarah a full denarius, paid Cody a full denarius, paid Luke a full denarius. Josh, how much do you think you're going to get? More than a denarius? Right? Sure. That only makes sense, doesn't it? I worked all day long. You paid Sarah over here who worked for an hour. Let's, let's quit saying denarius. You paid her $100. I've worked all day. I'm bound to get more than 100 But instead, when I hand the payment to Josh, I give him $100 also. Josh, what would you say? It's the title of the sermon. That's not fair. <laughs> That's not fair. Keep reading the passage. When the first had came, they thought they'd get more. Verse 11, when they received it, they complained against the landowner. Saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden, the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? And take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first, and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. Of course, the parable here and the explanation to it as it relates to us today, in my opinion, at least one of the more applicable ones, is becoming a Christian at a young age or an, an older age. And there are some who I have heard express uh, dissatisfaction with a brother or a sister that became a Christian later in life. Perhaps even right before they passed away. Well, wasn't that something? They waited till they were about to pass before they wanted to become a Christian. Well, wasn't that something? I've been a Christian for 60 years. This is their words, not mine. Quote, unquote, having to do all this church stuff. And they slip in here right at the end. Well, a couple of problems with that. Number one, if you're going through life 
quote unquote having to do all this church stuff, we're going to have a response here at the end with an invitation. You might want to come on down and reconsider the having to do all this Christian stuff. I'd submit to you that's not really being a Christian if all the things that you're doing, coming to church and loving your mankind and helping others and praising God and being obedient to them, if you're having to do all that, remember this morning, his commandments are not what? Burdensome. You should want to do what Christ does. So if you're having to do all this stuff for years and years, maybe you're not a Christian yet either, right? And then the second part of that, if that brother or that sister becomes a Christian right at the very end, rejoice that he's being able to receive the same reward that you're going to be able to He's not taking yours away. She's not taking yours away. Sarah didn't take Josh's away. She just got the benefit. But I'm like you. I would say that's not fair. <laughs> I should have more. I've worked more. I've worked longer. I've done more. I did it in the heat of the day. But that's not the way the Lord sees it. We sing that song, don't we, Brother Jeff? Uh, tempted and tried, we're off made to wonder. Why it should be thus all the day long, while there are others living about us never molested, though in the wrong. Then do we wonder why others prosper, living so wicked year after year. So why is that, church? Why is life not fair? Let's look at it. Number one, life isn't fair, and tonight I want us to focus on the world's view on blessings. And the world's view on blessings, at least in my mind, letter A here, uh, falls in line perfectly with a documentary from back in 2004 called Super Size Me. Did any of you ever watch that documentary, Super Size Me? Uh, the premise of it, what it was, this, this gentleman took a 30-day period from February 1st to March 2nd of 2003. Can y'all nod or Have y'all heard of that documentary? Y'all heard? He spent 30 days and he only ate McDonald's foods for breakfast, lunch, and supper. This is not a promotion nor a knock on McDonald's. That's just what the documentary did. He got the supersized meal, tried everything on the menu for 30 consecutive days. Supersize me. Americans, we want the biggest, we want the quickest, we want the best tasting. He did it for, for 30 days to see if it would impact his life. Uh, he consumed an average of 5,000 kilocalories, or the equivalent of nine and a half Big Macs per day, Although an intake of around 2,500 kilocalories within a healthy balanced diet is what's recommended for a man to maintain his weight. As a result, this 32-year-old man gained 24 pounds in 30 days of eating supersized McDonald's for breakfast, lunch, and supper. When the 30 days was over and he was ready to flip the switch back off and get back to his normal weight, it took 14 months with a trained dietitian and him eventually switching to a vegan diet to lose the weight that he gained from a 30-day super-seismic experiment. Again, not a commercial for or against McDonald's. just fascinates me. Because in our society, the world's view on blessings is bigger is better, more is better, and it's all about what you eat, what you can touch, what you can feel, what you can drink. That's where the world's blessings are. That's what the world would tell you. If two people have houses, the one that's bigger is obviously better. If two people have cars, the one that's newer, obviously better. If two, do you see? The world's view on blessings are very uh, materialistic. Despite scripture against it, letter B, some view possessions as a sign of godliness. Uh, there's nothing in scripture that suggests that the better Christian you are, the better that your possessions are going to be. There are some who preach at some of these mega churches. Joel Osteen always seems to be the one that gets thrown under the bus, but he's not alone. 
who stand and proclaim about the need to give, to give, to give, and meanwhile they're richer and richer and richer. There's the story about, you know, the, the guy who was bragging about how much money he gave and how much he got. Well, do it again. I'm not going to do it again. The Bible at no point says that the better Christian you are, the better physical blessings you're going to have. In the book of Job, chapter 1, we see about Job being upright and righteous, and God had blessed him. Satan said in Job 1, verses 9 and 10, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But Job didn't seem to focus on those things. So Satan comes in and takes all these things away from Job, destroys everything that he has, all of his riches, and it begs to ask the question, what would you say if you lost everything that you have? Uh, there's that song, one of my favorite songs, I think it's Lee Greenwood that sings that God bless the USA. If tomorrow all the things were gone, y'all know it, don't you? I'd worked for all my life, and I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I'd thank my lucky stars, and, 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 and it goes on talking about God bless the USA. What about God bless us as Christians? If everything were gone, all of your possessions, you'd work for all your life, would you be okay with that as a Christian? Would you be able to take comfort in the relationship you have with God? Job did. You keep reading there in chapter 1, verse 21, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the commentary on Job in verse 22 says that in all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. So letter B, despite scripture against it, the world sometimes views possessions as a sign of godliness. Letter C, God cares about our needs, but his best blessings are spiritual. His best blessings are spiritual. If we want to get past the fact of life not being fair as it relates to blessings, we need to focus our, 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 shift our focus away from the blessings that we can see and touch and realign them on our spiritual blessings. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20 says, Jesus said to them, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And that's why if you go back two chapters prior in Matthew chapter 6, he taught his disciples not to worry and not to spend their, their days concerned about the things that in his mind were trivial, not to spend their days worrying about their needs and whether or not they're going to be met. Church, it's what you've been doing for the past month. Do you realize that? You've been meeting the needs of Mayfield, those that don't have a place to lay their head, those that don't have a place to obtain food, those that don't have a place to obtain clothing. And the Bible tells those people not to worry. And if you're one of those people, how in the world are you supposed to not worry when you don't have anything? It's like that passage in James where it says, what are you going to do? Tell them to go and be warm and not do anything? Tell them to go and be filled and not feed them anything? How are you going to tell that person that's lost everything, don't worry? How's God going to provide that blessing for them? Are, you, are, are your eyes open? He's doing it through the church. Amen? That's why y'all are here working. You want to tell people not to worry about their possessions when they have an hour of need, then church, what did we better do? Step up and fill the need. And that's what we've been doing. What a good job. He told him in Matthew 6 not to worry. Matthew 8, don't worry about having a home or a house or a place to lay your head. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, the reason why you don't have to worry about those things is because blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing 
in the heavenly places in Christ. Satan can destroy all of our physical blessings. Nature can destroy all of our physical blessings. Your health can fail. Your home can fail. Your automobile can fail. Your job. All those things can fail. But the one thing that can never be taken away is your blessing of believing in Christ. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. The only person that can ever separate yourself from Christ is who, church? Yourself. It's a blessing that can never end unless you choose to end it. Jesus teaches letter D that some of the blessings that we receive can't be seen or touched. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, he said to them, Take heed and be aware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. One's life doesn't consist of that abundance because there's more things to life than just what you possess. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Instead, verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. If your treasure is a hope of one day spending an eternity in heaven, you spend your days, you spend your time, you spend your thoughts trying to make it to heaven. If your treasure and your possession lies somewhere else, you spend your day, you spend your time, you spend your thoughts worrying about those treasures. That's why in verse 33 of Matthew 6, he says to seek first the kingdom of God. So number one, life isn't fair. Blessings aren't always presented in the same way that the world sees them as blessings. If you drive through McDonald's and they've got a special to where you can supersize your meal for free, after watching that documentary, <laughs> is that a blessing? Sometimes more is not always better, right? Put your blessings in the Lord. So number two, life isn't always fair. You can't always judge what's fair based on blessings, but you can take comfort in this, or you should be able to take comfort in this. And this is beginning the invitation. We're already done. No, we still got quite a bit. But this is the beginning of the invitation. Let your mind dwell on this as we finish up our lesson tonight. Number two, judgment. When you stand before God, that day of judgment, and you have to give an account for everything you've done in your life, all the things that weren't fair, all the times that you said why, on the day of judgment, the one thing you can take comfort in is that it's going to be fair. You're going to get a fair shake. You're going to have the opportunity to stand before God Almighty Himself and tell Him exactly why you did what you did or didn't do what you didn't do. Judgment will be fair. Jesus says in John chapter 14 and verse 1, and this is letter A, that he's prepared a place for his believers. John 14 is probably my favorite uh, funeral passage. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also there's another song that we sing that's called farther along and in that song uh, it talks about us not understanding why things are the way that they are but it says we'll understand it all by and by I think a lot of that's referring to the day of judgment I think a lot of that's referring to John chapter 14 and verse 1, letting our hearts 
not be troubled. But Jesus tells us that he's prepared a place, and no matter how unfair life gets at times on judgment day, all the rights will be, all the wrongs rather will be made right. Letter B. We can take confidence in the judgment being fair, even if our life has experiences that aren't fair. Romans chapter 2 and verse 16 says, God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 10, 34 and 35, Peter said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, uh, Paul says, Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. Look at those passages again. Romans 2, 16, The secrets of men. There will be no secrets. Look at Acts 10, 34. He's no respecter of persons. How many times have you heard that, well, I can't get those things because of who I am? Well, I can't be accepted into that program because of who my family is. Well, those things never present opportunities for me because I don't know the right people. And hey, listen, sometimes that's true. Again, what's the message today? Life isn't fair. But on that day, on that day of judgment, a defense of, well, it wasn't fair because of who I that's not going to be an acceptable defense. The Bible says that God's no respecter of persons. He's going to judge even the secret. Second Timothy 4, 8, there's going to be this righteous crown laid up for those that love the appearing of the Lord. But there's going to be some things, church, that you will notice on that day. And that's number one, and not everyone will be found worthy on that day. In Luke chapter 16, verses 19 and 20, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was also a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who laid at his gates. And you remember the rest of Luke chapter 16. If you were looking at those two individuals, this beggar covered in sores, or this rich man clothed in fine purple, which one from the world's views is probably the Christian man? I mean, the, the rich man clothed in fine purple, right? He looks the part. This man is something. He's something special. And so on Judgment Day, this rich man is going to be the one that finds himself in heaven. It can never be this beggar over here covered in sores. But if you keep reading the passage, who do we find on Abraham's bosom? <laughs> the poor beggar covered in sores. And the rich man is in torment begging for... Do you all remember the blessing that he begged for? Anybody remember what it was? It was... Uh, um, a super, huh? A drop of water. Not a gallon. Not lemonade. Not even a cup of water, church. One drop of water. Was life fair to the poor beggar? <laughs> no. Couldn't even get the crumbs off the table. But what about the judgment? What about eternity? Every secret work brought into knowing. Not everyone's going to be found worthy on that day. Number two, not everyone's going to be found happy on that day. Matthew 13 and verse 41 says, The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. We sing the invitation song, and if I would have had a little more forethought, we would have sung it tonight. But there's a great day coming in some verses, and then you remember the one verse, and there's a sad day coming. 
for those on this day of judgment that are told to be cast into a furnace of fire that are going to be wailing and gnashing their teeth. There's no joy in that. There's no happiness in that. Number three, not everyone will expect their judgment. And I think this is the scariest one of the four for me. Not everyone will expect their judgment. The Bible says in Matthew 25 and verse 41, Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. Isn't this scary? How many times have y'all read this passage and it never really meant anything, and then now we've got the tornado? Boy, don't these verses hit different now? Don't these verses hit different now when you can look right out across the street and find people that are hungry and thirsty? Verse 42, I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you? How misguided. Not, when did we see anyone like, no, Lord, when did we see you? Again, preaching to the choir as the saying goes on a Sunday night, I understand that. But if Jesus himself were dwelling amongst us today and his house were hit and he were displaced, come on now, how much would you be doing to try to help the Lord? <laughs> right? That's Jesus. What do you need? <laughs> do you not think everybody would be lined up? I mean, I would be. I'm helping. And this is the Savior man. And so they asked him, that, well, Lord, when did we see you? We, we never saw you, Jesus. We never saw you hungry. We never saw you thirsty. We never saw you as a stranger or naked or, or sick or in prison. We never saw you like that. And Jesus answered them. Y'all remember it, don't you? Jesus answered them, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me also. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Matthew 7 and verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Folks who are not going to expect their judgment. Church, this is, this is it. This is the message tonight. Take this home with you tonight. This is all, this is all God. I could have just said this sentence, sat down, and it would have been done. Go home tonight or during the invitation. So examine yourself. Put all the other stuff out of your way. Examine your, how, how is your life. Do a mock trial. You know, lawyers do mock trials. Before they go before the actual judge and have the real trial, they'll do mock trials. They'll practice. They'll rehearse. Closing argument, ending argument, present the facts, give evidence. Do a mock trial of your soul tonight. Could you do that for me, please? Do a mock trial. Put yourself standing before God Almighty and answer the questions. What have you done as a Christian? Have you been faithful in my name? Have you done what you could to help others? Have a mock trial tonight. See what the answer is going to be. Don't let yourself be surprised by the outcome of judgment. And be real with yourself. Is there a change that I need to make? I, I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. Can I do better? What can I do to do it? Make the change. There's public sins that I need to get forgiveness of. Come and, and ask for forgiveness. I've never put on Christ in baptism. I've never had my sins washed away. What are you waiting for? Become a Christian tonight. But don't let the judgment surprise you. Don't be one of these in Matthew 7, 23 that says, what do you mean? Don't find yourself facing a judgment that you didn't expect. 
And number four, take courage that on that day all the wrongs will be made right. All the wrongs will be made right. Back to the scripture that Luke read for us, Matthew 20, verse 16. The last will be first, and the first shall be last. Luke 16, and verse 25, speaking to the rich man. Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. On that day, the day of judgment, life won't be unfair anymore all wrongs will be made right so church's way of invitation tonight what will that day bring for you there's a great day coming there's a great day coming or there's a sad day coming there's a sad day coming if you think to judgment in the end of your life is a sad day don't leave here that way tonight there's no reason to think of judgment as sorrow or fear but rather to think of it as a great, great day where you finally get to meet your Lord and Savior and hear that, well done, thou good and faithful servant. If there's some change you need to make tonight that we could help you with, would you please come while we stand and sing?